This is the Short Term Parking Podcast, and I am Jack Preback. Just passing through, ain't we all? The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. In almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking. We are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind. That is from a book called Propaganda written in 1928 by Edward Bernays. I get tired of thinking about propaganda. But this morning, I make these playlists on Spotify where I go through and pick a wide variety of music that uh, the main purpose is I use it as my background music when I work out with my kettlebell, my quarantine kettlebell workout. This morning, I found a song by an artist called Wayne Wood entitled Propaganda. And I put it on my playlist there right alongside Muddy Waters and Doc Watson and Chick Corea's Electric Band. And I know nothing about Wayne Wood. This is the first I've ever heard of Wayne Wood was this song. But the song caught my ear. Uh, the great line in there, freedom got a new best friend. And as I say, I'm tired of thinking about propaganda it is good to see that somebody I'm assuming from the younger generations is uh, taking an interest taking an interest in propaganda sounds silly but no uh, I think that uh, the opportunity to be aware of things like what Edward Bernays talked about the people pulling the strings. I think the opportunities to be aware 
of the power of propaganda are more in reach of everybody than they have been ever before. So it does give me some faith that there are younger people that are looking into this stuff at the very least and thinking about it and even writing what appears to me to be a sort of protest song about it. In the early 2000s, I was working for a guy, I've mentioned him before, named Bill Dees, who was a songwriter, and he wrote with Roy Orbison, primarily, is what he was known for. His biggest thing was the song, Oh Pretty Woman, he wrote that with Roy Orbison. And other than that, he had one other smaller hit with Orbison called It's Over, which most people have heard, and a bunch of songs that uh, were cut by different artists that most people have never heard. He had hundreds of songs, actually, that had been cut. But in 2002, when I was working with him and I produced an album for him, nobody really knew who he was in the public arena. And even though he wrote that uh, huge song in 1964, all those years had passed by and he had never released an actual album on his own as a singer and he was he was a great singer so it was you know he was overdue to uh, put out some work and he had a little bit of money you know from uh, the success the huge success of that one song and so we had this little record and we couldn't find any labels major or what I would call respectable indie labels that were interested in doing anything with it, mainly because, you know, here was a guy that was in his 60s and uh, nobody'd really heard of him. He had, you know, no name recognition. So I was advised by several different people who had had some success in the indie music world that uh, said, you know, the best thing you can do is uh, go out and play live shows to try and get, you know, somebody's name around. And if you're releasing an album, the best thing you can do is hire an independent PR person. PR stands for public relations and they are also called publicists. So even though I had played music for a long time, I had not been aware that such a thing even existed. 
And I started to uh, seek out some of these publicists, PR people. And basically what I was told was that what they would try to do, what they would effort to do would be to garner publicity for the record release in traditional media channels. In other words, they would try to get a newspaper person to write a story about it or somebody on the radio to talk about it or somebody who uh, had a TV or radio show to interview the artist. And what I heard time and time again from the various PR people was that the album needed to have a story behind it because what they were doing was essentially getting advertisement without paying for advertisement in the traditional way. If a newspaper writes an article about the album, it has the effect or a better effect than buying an ad in the newspaper. So if there is a story to tell behind the record release, then the publicist, the PR person, has something they can work with something that they can pitch to media in place of spending sheer dollars on advertisement on hard ads. And the procedure went something like this. The quote unquote life of the release, the lifespan of an album release was roughly two months, two to three months. There was a window of a couple of months where it was viable for one of these people to take this release and try to make, try to gin up news around it. And the fee for this in 2002 was roughly $8,000 per month for that couple or three months. So... It was one of those times where I, I looked around and was like, wow, everything I thought, how I thought this stuff worked, was a lie. It's not like these people that write for these music magazines are just sitting around one day and they come across a record and they're inspired by it and then they write an article about it. It's not like that at all. And there's also this myth of the independent artist that just comes out of nowhere and their material is so remarkable, their product is so remarkable that people want to start listening to it and want to start writing about it and interviewing them on so-called independent radio. Oh, by the way, one of the big coups, one of the big carrots that was held out by a lot of these uh, PR people, publicists, was that they all had connections with NPR. 
And uh, the idea was that uh, since uh, corporate radio was really owned by a couple of uh, different companies, huge companies that were in bed with the major record labels, your best source to break down any kind of door was through NPR. If you could get your, you know, uh, your little record on featured on something like all things considered or one of those other shows, if you could get on, uh, NPR, you could sell 5,000 albums, which sounded like a huge figure, especially for something that was truly independently recorded and produced. And so in essence, you know, uh, back in the day when you heard the term indie music thrown around a lot and there were artists, bands, etc., that were somehow bubbling to the top, bubbling up. There was a bit of a racket behind all that. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I mean, it's one of those, uh, they used to say in Nashville, must be present to win. You must get in the game if you want to win the game. And at some point, you've got to go along with the narrative, you got to play ball. All in the name of public relations. Which brings me back to Edward Bernays. Bernays was Sigmund Freud's nephew. And he figured out that the things that Freud was talking about regarding the group mind the hive mind, that in that there was a way to manipulate the public for profit, profit purposes, and beyond. And Bernays had worked during World War I in propaganda for the U.S. government, the Department of Propaganda. And their job was to spin the facts, put a positive spin on the good old U.S. of A. regarding their activities in that terrible, dirty, bloody, gruesome war. And a lot of the things that uh, you picture or you envision from that period, Uncle Sam wants you. We won't come home till it's over over there. A lot of these things were directly influenced by these propagandists. And Bernays, coming back to New York after the war... He had this grand scheme of using these propaganda techniques and what he'd learned from his uncle. And he would use all of this information in order to influence the public for profit. 
And he didn't want to use the term propaganda because there had, there had developed a negative connotation around it. So he came up with public relations instead. It was still propaganda, but we will call it public relations publicists. And without going into the whole crazy story behind, you know, what developed from this little idea of Edward Benet's, one of the things that's interesting to note is he served as the publicist, the PR firm for, uh, for his uncle Sigmund Freud. So who knows, without the influence of Bernays, Freud might never have been the iconic figure that he has, he became and has remained. And so that's just a little bit of, uh, my background thinking on uh, public relations and propaganda. And so I look around now and, you know, the corporate media is a propaganda device. They have a narrative and they have an agenda. It is not about just giving you the facts as they are. And lately, I have been watching very little news coverage. I watch for a couple of minutes in the morning usually. Which uh, is down considerably from what I would look at even a few months ago. And before that, and a lot of times just for the entertainment value, but it's not so fun in games at this point for me at least it is uh, troubling to watch the news coverage and until a couple of days ago I hadn't figured out what the glaring obvious thing was that was really bothering me about all of the corporate media coverage, the corporate media narrative, which is available to me. I turn on my Roku in the morning and select uh, one of the news networks and Generally, it is either MSNBC or CNN, sometimes CBS, and if I'm not using the Roku. But anyway, I sit there with my coffee, and whichever network I have on, there's usually a graphic to the right of one or two people talking, and it has all of the COVID numbers. And the first number, the big number, is the number of confirmed cases. The number of cases. And the big story recently is how the number of cases continues to rise. Uh, 
in parts of the U.S. So that's the first thing I see, the huge numbers. The biggest number on the right side of the screen is the number of cases. That is the cornerstone of what the rest of the story is based on. And the simple truth, the obvious truth, is they have no idea what that number is. Nobody knows what that number is. They will even tell you that most people, the majority of people that have COVID do not show symptoms, do not have symptoms. They're asymptomatic. Therefore, you could never get a true number unless, of course, you were able to test all of the seven plus billion people in the world. And then it still, of course, would not be a true number because you would have false test readings and, and what have you. But that's kind of beside the point. The point is that all of the other numbers, the hospitalizations, the deaths, they're all tied to the first number, the number of cases. And you'll usually catch them saying the number of confirmed cases, quote unquote. But a lot of times they'll just say the number of cases continues to rise and it's a false number. It's a fake number. And I don't want to invoke the, fr the phrase fake news and get into all of that. I'm not on team A or team B. But the fact is the number that they base all other numbers on is a false number. And therefore, any percentages of hospitalizations or ICUs or deaths, they are false numbers as well because they relate to the first false number. The number of people that have COVID could be orders of magnitude higher than what is being reported incessantly. And that, in a nutshell, is the proof that it's nothing more than propaganda. And propaganda is manipulation. And everything else tied to this, the social distancing, the shutdown of the economy, and all of the various ways that that is going to affect people for years to come, lifetimes, who knows. All of that is based on numbers that aren't real numbers. I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying that COVID is a hoax. And I'm not saying that people aren't dying from it. And I'm not saying that people aren't being hospitalized for it. And I don't know if masks work or not. And I don't know if social distancing has any effect because I don't know what the real number or numbers are. And yet, I can go turn on the TV right now or click on a news site on the web 
and I'll see a whole bunch of numbers. And that's what's on my mind today. And that's uh, what these podcasts have turned into. Pretty much every Thursday, I sit down and talk for a little bit about what's on my mind. And I think, for me, what's working best right now is to really limit my access or my uh, my exposure, is a better word, to the corporate media and the propaganda machine. Go on and enjoy the day. That's what I can do, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out in the yard. We've had a little bit of a cooler temperature the last couple of days. Let's go out and get some vitamin D. And I'll enjoy some music, listening, playing. And I hope you find something you can enjoy to keep your mind occupied on something other than the propaganda from time to time. And I thank you, genuinely thank you for tuning in. You can find me, all you got to do is type in Jack Prebeck, P-R-I-B-E-K. Music available at Bandcamp. Jack Prebeck Music at YouTube. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm doing these uh, playlists on Spotify. They're called Filters Off. If you just go to Spotify and type in Filters Off, you'll uh, be presented with a number of playlists I have put together of a crazy wide variety of music. And as is the tradition around here, I always leave you with a little music. And today's cut is off the recent Trespass album, and it is called Blueprint. Blueprint. Thank you.